0: Sent priests and leave from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way. Of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, "'Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. "'This is he of whom I said, "'After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. "'I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water "'that he might be revealed to Israel.'" And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. Lord, we uh, cast aside and cast down and even tread underfoot any distraction that would keep us from receiving the blessing that you have for us today. God, we ask you to sanctify our ears and our heart of understanding that we would receive. And I pray that, God, with the agreement of your people, Lord, you would anoint me to speak the word that you have appointed for this people in this time. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said So what is this passage about, this uh, passage from John chapter 1 that really focuses on uh, John the Baptist? At this point, Jesus is kind of a flat character, right? He doesn't have any lines. You just see him in the distance approaching John, and John is doing all the talking. He's uh, explaining. He's uh, answering questions that these uh, officials from Jerusalem have asked. They've come down from Jerusalem. They've come down to the east. John is down in the Jordan River Valley. He's on the other side of the Jordan, uh, just north of the Dead Sea. And that's where he's, uh, where he's baptizing. And uh, they're asking him questions. He's answering, and he's saying flat out. I mean, this is a golden opportunity for somebody with ambition, right? Uh, I mean, he's, he's uh, as we say in the south, he's in the catbird seat, right? He's in a position of tremendous advantage. Uh, because everybody's, he's got a following, he's got all these people that are coming to him, but he flat out rejects that ambition and says, I'm not the Christ, I'm, I'm not, I'm not these different uh, images and ideas of different uh, savior figures from the Old Testament that you've got uh, going on in your mind, and they, well, uh, who are you? And he explains As he does in all four Gospels, this is a very important You know something is very important if they keep hitting the note over and over. And this, in its own way, according to each of the Gospels, is explained in each of the Gospels. John repeats this. He says he's the voice of one calling in the desert. He describes himself as the forerunner. And he says there's going to be one coming after me, one whose sandals I'm not worthy of to untie. That is the lowest description you could have of yourself. Because the feet, to, to wash feet or to touch feet or to touch shoes was considered in that culture, still is today by the way, considered the lowest possible social thing to do. That's that's icky, nasty work. So for him to say, I, you know, I'm, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals is, is, is a very, very low thing. He says, he is coming after me. I baptize with water, but he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is the first mention within the Gospels. Notice it's, it's chapter 1, right? It's chapter 1. It's essentially right at the beginning of the story of all the Gospels. All four of them describe Jesus as the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. He's the one who... Who is going to impart the spirit of God to God's people? What is this really about? Why does it happen at the beginning of the gospel story of the the description of Jesus' ministry? Even before we begin to see Jesus in action, before he casts out any demon, before he heals any sick person, before he preaches a sermon in the synagogue, before he does anything at all, this is the description that John the Baptist, the forerunner, gives to him. Well, put simply, this is the beginning of what the Gospels do in their presentation of this message of tying together these different streams of prophetic truth that we find in the Old Testament. Now, for us, We look back, I was talking with with Ken last night about this after we had prayer. We look back on the ministry of Jesus, on these events, even through the Old Testament, we interpret them through the lens of the resurrection. In other words, we have the benefit of the resurrection, we have the benefit of the 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 uh, gospel story we have the the benefit of the the writings in the new testament in order to see these things clearly but there's a certain benefit in trying to go back and kind of place ourselves in those shoes it was a very fluid time people were trying to piece this stuff together they were trying to understand what was going on they they felt like god was about to do something they they had a sense of anticipation but they couldn't uh, put it together and trying to understand who jesus was was a journey, even for his chosen ones. And so when we look back and we read the Old Testament and we understand, oh yeah, all this is about Jesus, they didn't get that. They didn't understand that. And what we're seeing here is the beginning of tying together. And I could talk about a lot of different things, but I want to talk about what I would consider to be the big three. They were beginning to see, and it was beginning to come together together, That the prophecy and the foretelling of the Messiah, the coming of the Anointed One, and the promised new covenant, and the impartation of the Holy Spirit, those three things, all those things had been repeatedly prophesied. They were beginning to see that they were linked together they were tied together. Now we take that for granted. We take it for granted. Well, yeah, of course Jesus came and through his uh, ministry and through his sacrifice on the cross and through resurrection from the dead, he inaugurated, he implemented the new covenant. That new covenant that was prophesied by Jeremiah that said in latter days I'm going to bring a new covenant about and I'm going to I'm going to write the law not on tablets of stone, but I'm going to write it on, on people's hearts. Now, we understand that that's about Jesus, but they didn't understand that. They didn't understand. The Messiah was one idea. The new covenant. These prophets saying, that okay, God's going to bring out a new covenant. And then you've got the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I want to focus on because we are talking about the Holy Spirit. But they understood that these things were linked together. These things are clear to us, but we're dawning very, very slowly on them at that time. I want us to look back at what I consider to be one of the kingpin prophecies of the Old Testament about the sending and the impartation and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, and and he says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. Now, last week I talked about this. I talked about the idea of the indwelling, and I made a statement. And that, was, that statement was that the people in the Old Testament had no idea, that the idea of indwelling was not mentioned in the Old Testament, that the idea of the Holy Spirit dwelling upon people was mentioned. Now this verse, right, the, the, these verses right here, they're the qualifier. In other words, they're the, they're the tweak on that truth. Because Ezekiel, if you read the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel regularly talks about The Spirit of God coming into him. He has these incredible visions. These visions that literally sap the strength out of his mortal flesh. And he's overwhelmed by them. And he can't even stand up. And and he repeatedly says, the Spirit of God came into me and stood me on my feet. So when, when Ezekiel is prophesying the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord is revealed to him... And and God says, hey, I'm going to put my spirit in you and give you a new flesh, a new heart that's soft, that's tender, that's responsive to the spirit of God, that isn't hard and stony and resistant to obedience, but is going to be yielding to the spirit of God. Ezekiel, in his own mind, is probably understanding the idea of the spirit being sent into somebody in the way that he had experienced it. We know that the prophets in the Old Testament, they simply prophesied and wrote down the word of the Lord, but they didn't, in many cases, didn't fully understand it. We know that because the New Testament tells us. The New Testament tells us that these prophecies were coming out of their mouth, but they themselves, they, they could sense something was going on in, in, in the book of uh Second Peter, Peter says they searched and they, they, they tried to figure out what the Spirit of God in them was pointing to. So they didn't understand. Ezekiel couldn't have understood the new covenant reality that God was not talking about just the Spirit of God resting on a prophet. Or like it happened with him, the Spirit of God enters into his mortal flesh and, and helps him to stand up on his feet. God was talking about something completely different than just a spiritual gifting that would come upon a few prophets, priests, and kings. He was talking about an empowerment and an indwelling that would be for every single believer. Every single person among God's people that are under the shadow of God's covenant, every single one would receive the empowerment of And the life-changing power of the Spirit of God. Saints, this is something that we need to let it ring in our ears as if we're hearing it for the first time. Because when we look and we understand what the New Testament is about. And what the coming of Jesus is about. What his ministry was about. How God made flesh coming into this world, dying on a cross and rising from the dead, and then sending the Holy Spirit. The last two weeks we've talked about this in the latter part of the Gospel of John, when Jesus describes the coming of the paraclete, that word that's translated, it's it's got such a broad uh, meaning to it that it's translated in different ways. It can mean comforter, it can mean counselor, helper, advocate, these different meanings. This This is what... The New Testament makes clear, right as Jesus is bringing his ministry to a culmination, bringing it to a close, and he speaks to his disciples. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to teach you and guide you and counsel you and comfort you and help you and live within you. This is a truth that that sets what Jesus brought about in the New Covenant completely apart from any other religion. I was raised in a, in a high church home. I went to a high church university. And I, I heard this stuff. I, I read these books. I, uh, Jesus got a hold of me early. Before I went to college, but I was exposed to all sorts of, uh, I guess you could call it sort of theological intellectualism. And you'd see these, I'd see these books that uh, my roommates had to read and it'd be like conversations between, uh, you know, Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad. Well, I want to tell you, there's no, there's no compare, comparing Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad. Jesus is God in the flesh, and the others are mortal men. There's no comparison between those. And I want to tell you: you say, "Well, okay, yeah, but uh, you weren't there, and uh, each each of those uh, types had their own disciples, and we got to read these musty old books to understand." And that's what uh, somebody's talking about. Wrong. Jesus has not left us as orphans. He has come to us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit today indwelling us. And that power is what completely sets us apart. This isn't, I'm not, listen, I'm. Not, this isn't flag-waving patriotism. I'm not talking about, oh, America's better than any other country of the world. We're not talking about America here. We're talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is not comparing religions I'm talking about eternal truth this is the spirit of God this is the sending of the paraclete he's the one who comes and changes our hearts anybody who's ever had any inclination toward God at all any stirring toward him any sense of need I don't care if it's something that was out of the the heart's cry of of you as a child calling out to God I don't care if it's foxhole religion I don't care what it is One or the other, anybody who's had an inclination toward God has been grieved at the hardness of their heart. Anybody who's had any inclination toward God has had a sense that, man, I make a a determination that I'm going to be good, that I'm going to do the right thing, that I'm going to follow after God, and within minutes, sometimes seconds, I'm violating that. How many know what I'm talking about? I'll pray for the rest of you liars out there. Amen. God is saying by his Holy Spirit, he's going to indwell us and he's going to do a powerful work inside of us. It's a journey, but he's going to make it to where our hearts are inclined toward him. We're not going to be perfect in this life. But he's going to make it where at least where we can become sensitive to our need for him and we're going we're to be inclined toward him. This is the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. If you read Titus 3 5, great verse. This is one of those verses that's it's a good refrigerator scripture, right? You make a magnet out of it and you put it on your fridge says this, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in and renews us, regenerates us, brings about that power. That's something, listen to me, that no Old Testament saint had, not even the best. This is why Jesus says, among those born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because John the Baptist was the harbinger. He was the one who paved the way for the coming of the Messiah. And the word about the baptism of the Holy Spirit was in his mouth. Jesus is saying, you name them. I don't care who they are. I don't care if you're talking about Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. I don't care if you're talking about David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Zechariah, all of them put together, the greatest is John the Baptist. That is letting us know something, saints. It's letting us know that the spirit of God, listen, there's a promise in that. Because the next thing Jesus says, he says, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, I wouldn't have believed it if it weren't written there. But it's written there. Why? Why is Jesus saying that? Listen, saints, listen to me. You're selling yourself short. You're living below your privileges. The Spirit of God is the gift par excellence of the new covenant. He is the gift that sets you apart. Not because of anything that you've done. We just read that in Titus. But because of his own mercy and grace. He's shining on you the Son of Righteousness, and you're brilliant like a, a full moon in a night sky. It's reflected glory, but it's greater glory than anything in the Old Testament ever saw. Because the Spirit of God indwells you. Now, what is the covenant effect? We could talk about that. We, we we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about how the Spirit of God indwells us and changes us. If we'll hearken unto it, if we'll recognize the promise, and we'll yield ourselves toward it, and incline ourselves toward it. But what's the covenant effect? In other words, what's the effect? A covenant is a pact. It's a relationship between us and God. What's the effect of the, the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us? What impact does that gift, does that indwelling have upon our covenant relationship With God. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. It says this In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, this is what he's saying. He's saying, When you believe, the gospel. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you say amen. I believe the truth of the gospel. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he's coming soon. I believe that he's the son of God. When you say that, not just not just like, if I dare say this, not just like I did when I was a kid. Because I was raised in church and I was taught to say that. Anybody Anybody else? Right? That's not belief. That, that has nothing to do with belief according to, to the scriptural idea of belief. It's like me saying, I believe that chair will hold me up. But as long as I stay here and the chair's over there, I haven't believed anything. I've got to go sit in the chair. Now, now I've said I've believed in the chair. Does everybody follow me? you got to lean on Jesus. you gotta, you got to trust in him. Believing on Jesus, believing he's the son of God, believing he died for your sins and rose from the dead and is coming soon, depends on where your trust is, where your dependency is. So the people who do that, they're sealed with the Holy Spirit. They're set apart for something eternal. And Paul tells us what the seal of the Holy Spirit is in our hearts. He says it's a guarantee. It's a down payment of heaven. Now, here's, here's the amazing thing. This is so, this is so cool. The word that's used there that's translated guarantee is arabone. Can everybody say that word with me? Arabone. Arabone. You know what that word means in Greek? It means engagement ring. The Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring to you. He's the groom. We're the bride. And he is telling us, Honey, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you, and I'm going to take you away on an eternal honeymoon. And to show you, so you don't forget, that spiritual forgetfulness again, so you don't forget, so you don't think I've abandoned you, I'm going to give you an engagement ring. And that engagement ring is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is about intimacy. Any woman who's received an engagement ring from a man knows that the second that rings on her finger their level of intimacy goes to a new place amen the level of confidence goes to a completely different place once that's on there because talk is cheap amen but once you got a piece of ice on your hand then it then it's different right it's just different the whole atmosphere of the relationship is transformed and that's what Jesus has done with us. Now, this, this is powerful. Look back in John chapter 3, starting in verse 26. This is John the Baptist 2.0. This is when he's coming back. They talk to him again. This time his disciples. John chapter 3, starting in verse 26. It says, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan... at the bridegroom's voice, therefore this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist is saying something. He's saying, don't get things, to his own disciples. These are his own disciples talking to him this time. He was saying to them, don't get your wires crossed here. I'm the bridegroom, or excuse me, I'm the, I'm the best man. He's the bridegroom. The bride doesn't belong to the best man. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Now, Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives the ring. He's the one who gives the engagement ring. Who's the one who leads the the bride, to the bridegroom. It's the best man. It's the best man. Who is the best man? The best man is repentance. That's who John the Baptist was. John the Baptist was the incarnation of repentance itself. He said, I come baptizing in water, but he's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a little bit, this gets a little bit off for us because of our understanding of the way weddings work. Our understanding of a wedding is the bride, you have the bride and you have the groom. And the bridesmaids attend who? The bride. And the groomsmen attend who? Wrong. In the ancient world, both the bridesmaids and the groomsmen attended the bride. Why? Well, the maids have to make sure that she's all prettied up and taken care of it and everything else. The groomsmen are basically muscle men that prevent her from being kidnapped. Because a lot of times these, these uh, weddings were political, right? I mean, they're, you kidnap the bride, she's the easiest one to kidnap, right? Because she's not as strong as the groom. And you prevent the wedding from going through. So That's why you had men and women in numbers. But all of them were for the bride. (laughs) The groom was fine all by himself. So this is an idea that, that John is appealing to. He's the friend of the groom, but he's guarding the bride. He's guarding the bride. How does he guard the bride? How does he care for the bride? He ushers the bride into the presence of the groom In his case, through repentance. So we've got to understand the ministries of these two men. The ministry of Jesus is baptism in the Holy Spirit. The ministry of John the Baptist is baptism in water. The ministry of Jesus is to fill us with the transforming power of God's presence. But the only way that comes about is first... If we have a spirit of repentance about us. John says back in John chapter 1 verse 31. That passage that we already read. He said the reason I came baptizing. Was that he might be revealed to Israel. He said this is why I came. This is the whole purpose why I came. My whole purpose was to bring about repentance at a level of, of, of of people's hearts. So that they would put themselves in a position to be able to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Very simply, what he's saying is, if if you're not going to be baptized in water, if you're not going to be in a place where you're repenting of your sin and you're turning from your hardness of heart, you're not going to be able to see who Jesus is. This is exactly what it says in, in in the Gospel of Luke. It says, those who were baptized by John, when Jesus came along, boom, their eyes were opened, their heart was sensitive, they were ready to receive him, they recognized him for who he was. But the Pharisees and the priests and all these high officials, they weren't baptized by John, and so they were blinded. So when the time came, they made the wrong choice. They made a wrong decision. This is what we call gateway decisions. We want to make a decision. We want every, oh God, I want to be led of the Spirit today. Amen? How many want that? Oh, God, lead me by your spirit today. Amen. We want that moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day decision. But let me tell you something else. There are gateway decisions that you make. They're bigger. Not all decisions are the same. There are some decisions are bigger than others. When God gives you a season of blessing and offers you an opportunity, take it. Take it. You're you're facing a gateway. Because if you say no to that opportunity... And you turn away, don't think the next day that same opportunity is going to present itself. Are, are you following me? John the Baptist was a national level opportunity for the people of Israel. Some said yes, some said no. But because they went, they went through that gateway that was yes, down the road they understood and were able to make the right decision about the next thing. The people who said no to him, they weren't in a position to make the right decision. <laughs> So this is what we have to do. This is what we have to do. We have to humble ourselves. I believe God wants to pour out his spirit on this church. I believe it. I believe it in the core of my being. I believe that God wants to do something significant in this place. There's a stirring. There's a moving. God wants to do it. And he's calling on us to position ourselves. He's calling on us to position ourselves. That we would have a corporate level outpouring and baptism in the Holy Spirit. What do we have to do? Same thing they had to do back then. Now you might say, well, Pastor Dave, are you um, are you saying we ought to break out the baptistry and we all ought to get wet again? No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying this, food for thought. Everybody that John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist baptized in the River Jordan They were already Jews. They were already among the people of God. And there's something about baptism that we ought to take a lesson from. Does anybody remember? I'm going to step down here. Does anybody remember when you're baptized? Anybody remember your baptism? It's a beautiful experience, but it's a humbling experience. Isn't that that true? There's a cute, you know. I mean, a guy like me, it's just awful. It just ruins my hair for the whole day. You know, I mean, you, there's, there's a humility to it. You're, you're, you're there in water in front of other people and you're confessing, look, I'm dirty and I need to be washed. And you're literally yielding control of your body and you're allowing another human being to control you, to put you under the water and to lift you up, there's a there's a hu- there's a humility. I believe that God is calling us to that humility. I believe God is calling us to that kind of repentance. People say, "Well, okay, I don't, I don't know what uh, to repent of. I, I think, I think, I think I'm okay." God wants to take us from glory to glory. He wants to take us from one level of consecration to him, and he wants to take us to the next level. This isn't about condemnation. This is not about condemnation. This is about us going to the Lord and saying, Father, it's in the place of humility. It's not in a place of strength and pride, but it's in a place of brokenness and humility that the Holy Spirit can deal with us. Amen. I want to ask Pastor Joseph to come. I want to ask you just to bow your head before the Lord right now. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you are here in our midst. You are the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. You are the one who is faithful to us. You are the one God who listens to us and our heart cry. And Father we ask for your grace today. Father we're we're asking that you would help us. God, that you'd give us grace. God, that you would grant us life. Jesus, we 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 want you to Manifest yourself in our midst as the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit, who renews our hearts, who fills us with fire and with power, God who sets us free and then turns us into people who can help set other people free. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we ask you to help us as individuals and a church to walk more deeply in that gift. And God, we ask you to guide us and help us to humble ourselves before you. I'm not asking anybody here already been baptized to get baptized again, but I am going to ask that if you're here and you, you would be baptized if the Lord called you to, that you would be willing to you're willing to humble yourself like you did that first time. You're willing to humble yourself that way again if that's what it takes for you to go to the next level in the infilling of the Spirit and the outpouring of the Spirit and to see God bless your life, the life of your family and the life of other people around you and maybe some people you don't even know. If you are willing to pray with me, I want to ask you to come forward, and I want us to pray together that Jesus would be the baptizer and the Holy Spirit for this church again. If you're willing to pray with me, I want to ask you to stand and come forward right now, and we'll pray together. We'll pray together. If you want to sit on the front row? You can sit on the front row. Wow! <laughs> Would you take the hand of somebody nearby you, and uh, or touch somebody's shoulder? God, we come to you. We're not strong. We're not wise. We're not wealthy. We're weak. We're broken. But Jesus, you're the strong one. You're the strong one. God, you baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire. God, I'm asking you to look down upon this body. I'm asking you, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, God, that you accept this offering as if each one of us is walking down into the Jordan River right now. God, as a body, Lord, we repent. We repent of being so satisfied with so little of you. God, as a body, Lord, we turn to you and we desire you. God, we're asking you to open our eyes. God, we don't even know how to want you. We don't even know how to wean ourselves off all of our appetites for things in this world. And Father, we're asking right now, Lord, that you restore us. God, I ask in Jesus' name for those who've been saints for many years that stand here in our midst. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you stir in them, Lord, a spirit of intercession. God, that the greatest days of spiritual glory that they've seen, Lord God, you'd stir those up in them again and the power of the Holy Spirit would descend upon them and God, they would pray and pray and pray like the prophets of old. God, for those who are younger and who have children, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, you stir a hope in them. God, that the lies of this world would fall away from their ears and they would, they would see the fire and God, there would be a revival that would be birthed in their hearts jesus i pray father god that you would forgive us for being tepid in our worship as we sing about the spirit of god and about the blood of jesus god we're so passionless god stir the passion in us set us free god to do your word and to do your will god inhabit this house let your holy presence fill this house Father, we humble ourselves before you. We humble ourselves, God, things that we've grieved your spirit and we didn't even know that we were doing it, God. We didn't even know. We just ask you to forgive us. We just ask you to overlook those things and just wash them away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for cleansing us. Thank you, Lord. Just, Just call on the name of Jesus right now. Just say his name. Greater than you've imagined he wants to do. He wants to work. Hallelujah.